Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm trying something a little bit new today. I'm going to try to put this on YouTube so that you can see pictures of what I'm talking about. I think it might be a little bit easier to understand some of these things if I can show images so that you can see what I'm looking for on x-rays, the anatomy, things like that. Welcome to my house. This is my office. Let's talk about feline asthma. Somebody had asked me about this just last week, so just I do take these requests and I do actually make them. Feline asthma, uh, simply put, it's basically a respiratory condition in cats. It does happen in dogs as well, but I'm going to specifically talk about cats today. It causes inflammation and narrowing of the airways. I'm going to go over a little bit of anatomy real quick before we go on. So these are the lungs. This is the lungs right here and lung over here. Just anatomy-wise, cats have three lungs on the right and two lungs on the left. And sometimes we'll break those lungs on the left up into three parts, the cranial, the craniocaudal, and caudal portion of the left lungs. And then on the right lungs, it'll be broken up into usually cranial, middle, and caudal portions of the lungs. So it just means the top part of the lung, the middle part of the lung, and then the bottom part of the lungs. It starts out, we have our trachea or our windpipe that starts up at the top, and then it goes down into our actual trachea into where the chest is. From there, the trachea divides up into these things called bronchi. So these are primary bronchi first that they break up into, and then into secondary bronchi. It also has tertiary bronchi, and then we get to this little place that has a, these little, the best way I can describe them as like bubbles almost, and that's at the very end of the bronchi. And that is where all the gas exchange happens. Those are called the alveoli. So when we're talking about feline asthma, we're talking about the bronchioles. So the primary bronchi, secondary bronchi, tertiary bronchi, all of those can have inflammation in it, and we can see those on our x-rays. So we're going to talk about those little tiny ones that branch off from our trachea, essentially. So those cause a lot of inflammation and narrowing when we have these asthma attacks. So it goes from being like a nice round open area to a very tiny area for them to be able to breathe in. So this can make things really difficult for cats, especially if they're breathing. You need to have a big airway for them to be able to breathe, right? It especially gets worse during times of like stress and exercise. So some people will notice that their cat it becomes really stressful when there's loud noises, thunderstorms, new cats in the house that all bring asthma attacks because stress makes things worse. What we do think, though, as well, is that feline asthma is likely caused by an allergic reaction to something that the cat inhales. We assume that whatever it is, it could be lots of different things. Things that mostly affect cats are going to be things like cigarette smoke is really bad, dust pollen, candles, incense, plug-ins, like those blade plug-ins, those can be really bad for our asthmatic cats as well. Scentsies, those are all like really strong smelling things, can be really harmful to them. Feline asthma is a very chronic progressive disease, meaning that it's going to be around for a long time and it's a slow progression, so it's going to slowly get worse over time. Usually our cats are diagnosed somewhere around two to four years old for the first time, but they're going to have it for the rest of their life. And I've definitely had cats that we didn't diagnose till much later, especially ones that were outdoor cats and then became indoor cats suddenly, or vice versa. They were indoor cats and then suddenly became outdoor cats. So those can even be diagnosed. I've had one that was 12 years old by the time we've diagnosed it for the first time with asthma. But 
Let's talk about like our clinical signs now. With the clinical signs, the cats look like they're breathing really heavily. So think about when you see a cat coming in on the carrier, open mouth breathing is one huge indication that there's a problem. Cats are obligate nasal breathers. They have to breathe through their nose. So if somebody's calling on the phone and they're like, my cat is open mouth breathing, you tell them to come down immediately because that is that is not something that they do. They're not like dogs. Dogs pant normally. They can pant so they can breathe through their mouth and they can breathe through their nose. Cats are not like that. They do not pant unless there's a problem. Other things are looking at the cat's breathing. If you see that it's inhaling and exhaling really hard, then that's also probably a really good indication that there is something that's going on in that cat's chest. Other things too, at home for when they call in and they're like, hey, I think my cat is breathing really hard. You can ask them to take the respiratory rate. That's a really easy thing to do. Just have them stand by the cat, maybe put their hand on their chest so that they can look or they can feel when they're taking a breath. It has to be at rest though. They can't have been like running around like crazy and then suddenly they're breathing hard. This is like cats have been at rest. They can count the breaths over a minute's time. I don't really like telling them over 15 seconds and then multiply it or 10 seconds and multiply it, whatever your preferred method is, but I prefer them to do it over a minute. So that way we have an accurate representation because even when we're doing it in the hospital, 10 seconds is a very short amount of time. We're just using that 10 second time period and then timesing that by six to extrapolate what we think that the respiratory rate is. But it might not actually be. So the easiest way is to count over a minute and then ask them what the respiratory rate is. So a normal respiratory rate is going to be between like 30 to 40 breaths per minute. If it's higher than that, then I start to become really worried. If it's lower than that, it's probably not going to be a big deal if the cat's at rest. Not a big deal. If it gets lateral and dying and it's like 40, less than 40, then I'm a lot more worried. But usually over 40, we want them to come in so that we can assess what's going on with them. Some of the other really common things that work, that the pet owners are going to see at home are going to be things like wheezing. Sometimes you can hear the wheezing just without a stethoscope. You just hear it like in their lungs. Um, or another one is when they're coughing. A very um, n normal cough for asthma for cats is they'll be laying on the ground and then they'll have their neck really outstretched like really far. And then they start hacking or coughing as if they're throwing up a hairball, but that's not what it is. And that's what people get really confused about a lot is that they think that they're throwing up a hairball. And that's not actually the case. They're like actually trying to cough because they're trying to breathe. All right. So let's talk about what's happening inside the body now. Like I said, when the cat breathes in some sort of allergy, something it's allergic to, it makes something called an antibody. So an antibody is like a fighter cell. It's trying to fight off whatever the problem is, that very specific thing. So it has a very specific target. Let's say the cat is allergic to grass. Okay. So the cat inhales a grass pollen and now the body makes antibodies to pollens to say, anytime we see this grass pollen, we are going to fight it off. Now that grass pollen is something called an antigen. So that's the thing that the body is trying to fight off. So we have the antigen, the cat breathes in the antigen, the grass pollen, the cat's body makes antibodies to help fight it off. Okay. Now, when that antibody senses that there's that grass pollen or antigen around, it goes crazy. It is trying to get rid of it any way that it can. So one of the things it does is it makes the immune system start working over time. 
where when that happens, there is inflammation that occurs. Think about when you smash your thumb with a hammer or something and it swells up or you hurt your knee and it swells up. The same thing happens with the immune system. It wants to get rid of something and so that we have this swelling or inflammation that occurs. But now it's not in something big like your thumb or your knee. It's in these tiny little bronchioles that are in there. Now we already had a very small amount of room to be able to breathe and now we have even smaller room to breathe. Not only that, but the immune system also creates mucus. It wants to try to get all of that stuff out. So it makes this sticky mucus so that, it, so that hopefully that grass pollen sticks to the mucus. But now we have inflammation, which has made our bronchioles smaller. And now we have stuff that's sticking to the surface of it, which is making the, that passageway even tinier. And it gets to the point where they just, they cannot breathe anymore. The other thing that I will say about cats too is that their lungs are their shock organ. So that means that if they are stressed at all, that their lungs are one of the first things that's affected. So if we already have a cat that can't breathe very well, and now we're stressing it out and it's making the lungs even worse, uh, that's really scary. That's when we have these really bad asthmatic attacks and that cats, when they get brought into the clinic, can die from just like taking them over to get the x-rays. One of the big things that I always, I try to harp on for like cats who I think that have asthma is when we put them into that oxygen cage, put them in there immediately, get a weight, put them in immediately because we want to make sure that they're under less stress in that oxygen cage. There's no barking dogs, hopefully in there, but also we're getting them oxygen immediately. Oxygen is really essential for cats and for all animals, right? But basically all of our red blood cells hold that oxygen and bring it to the rest of the body. But if we have no air in our lungs, the air cannot get to the red blood cells, which means it cannot get to the rest of the body. And things start dying. Our heart starts dying, our brain starts dying, our kidneys start dying. So we want to make sure we get oxygen to all of those places immediately. So putting them into oxygen immediately will help. The second big thing is to get them some TORB. So Torbjigesic, the other name for it, or butorphanol, whatever you want to call it, but getting them TORB because that will actually help calm them down so that we take away that stressor of this being its shock organ. We haven't quite fixed the asthma portion of this yet, but we're just trying to take away from the stress. So sometimes giving them TORB IM and just letting them sit in oxygen can be the best thing for them because if we stress them out by taking them out to go get x-rays, we might have a dead cat, unfortunately. And we don't want that to happen. Now we've talked about x-rays and stuff. Let me jump into like, how do we diagnose this? It's really important to know and to tell people that there's not going to be a single way to diagnose this. There's not a test like a parvo test that we can do that says, yes, this is asthma or no, it's not asthma. Some of the things that we are relying on are one is our physical exam. So sometimes, like I said, you can hear the wheezing and wheezing is a really good indicator that there's going to be a allergic reaction or sorry, a asthma attack. You could also hear other things too. Like we're also listening to the heart. Is there any changes to the heart? Do we have heart murmurs that might make me think that maybe this is a heart problem, not actually asthma? Do we have, if I'm listening to a part of the lungs and I don't hear any noises, maybe there's actually fluid that's in their chest. We like really use our physical exam to try to help assess whether is this asthma and do we need to get TORB and x-rays or is this a congestive heart failure and we need to get Lasix and x-rays. 
You know, or is this actually nothing to do with the lungs at all? Does it seem like it's the lungs because that's the way the cat is panting or breathing, but it's actually like an upper respiratory tract infection or polyps in the nose or a nasal tumor? We really use that assessment of our physical exam to try to figure out what it is. Then the next thing is that we're looking at our diagnostics. So the most common diagnostic that we're going to use is going to be x-rays or radiographs. Remember, radiographs are what the actual term is. X-rays are actually just the beam that's coming down from the x-ray machine. But the image itself is a radiograph. So we're looking for these super subtle changes. All right, so we're going to try this screen share now. So for anybody who's watching, we can go over this real quick. There we go. All right, here's our x-ray. Just to orient anybody who's not used to seeing x-rays, the top part up here is going to be our head. The bottom part down here is going to be where the butt is. And this cat is on their back. This gray circle here, that is the heart. The Anything that's white like this is usually bone. So this is the spine right here. And these are the ribs right here. The lungs are sitting in these weird little triangles just like this. All this is lung right here. Lungs are usually black because anything on an x-ray that has air in it will be black. So all of this is black right here, all of this right here. So interesting things about this x-ray, when we're looking for asthma on x-rays, they can be really difficult to see. They've actually done a study that showed about 23% of cats who had asthma had normal x-rays. So they didn't see any of the same signs that we're going to talk about right now. The things that we're going to be looking for, we call them donuts and railroads. So essentially, it means that we're looking for these like circles and these lines. Here is one of those circles right here. There's our donut. There's one donut. There's donuts over here. There's tons of them. Tons of little donuts all around in this area. Now... Unless you are trained to see these things, these are really difficult to see, right? I'm sure you were looking at this and thinking, what are you talking about? Donuts and railroads. So this is really difficult to see. Here is one of our railroad tracks down there. That's going this way. So these are really subtle changes. You have to know what you're looking for in order to be able to determine whether this is an asthmatic cat or not. But these are essentially the things that I'm looking at. This actually also is very interesting because we have this portion that's right here. This side over here is the left side. We always look at the left side on our right side. So we're looking at the cat from the up opposite way. But remember we talked about, so the left side of the lung has two lobes. So you have one here and you have one here. The right side is three lobes. So that's gonna be like right here and right here, all right? If you notice on the other side, the cat actually has another one, another one of those weird consolidation things right there. This can be a couple of things. This can be that it is a collapsed airway, a collapsed lung, essentially. So you have a nice lung right here. This is about where your left caudal, cranial caudal lobe is. Remember I said that even though there's two, we divided one of those lobes into two sections. So you have cranial up here, cranial, right? Just as terribly on this as I do in real life. Cranial, you have caudal down here caudal and then you have the caudal portion of the cranial lobe over here that's what we usually call it and then over here you have cranial middle caudal this portion right here could be a partial lung lobe that's collapsed 
The other thing that it can be is pneumonia. So we have this really consolidated area, but it's really small. So if it was this whole thing right here that had this really whitish type thing, then we would be, probably be able to say that this is most definitely pneumonia, especially if we see like airways going through it. But this is a really small area, so it's hard to determine 100% whether this is actually going to be pneumonia or a collapsed lung lobe. But I know from the treatment of this cat that this was more likely going to be pneumonia than it was going to be a collapsed lung lobe. This one, same thing again too, like maybe we have one collapsed lung lobe and we have pneumonia. It's really hard to say 100% for sure, but definitely we have two areas here that are suspicious. All right. That's how we determine our diagnostics. You can also use CT scans. So if people call it a CAT scan, that's the same thing, but it's a CT scan. And all that's doing, if anybody's seen our CT machine, it is literally like this machine that like rotates in a circle and it takes a 360 degree angle. So it's going all around that cat looking at the lungs. So we can look to see if there is collapsing of them or if there is inflammation in them, what those changes look like. The other tool that can be used is called a bronchoscopy. That means that we are taking a camera, putting it down into the trachea. Remember, this is called a bronchoscopy, which means it's going to go into the bronchi here. We usually cannot go into the secondary bronchi or the tertiary bronchi because these are so tiny in the first place. But we usually are just putting it into the primary bronchi. From there, you can take samples of the cells and send them out to determine if this is inflammation or if there's bacteria in there or if there's even like things like worms that are in there because there can be lungworms and stuff that live in there as well. But you can't go into like the secondary bronchi or the tertiary bronchi, which means you cannot go to the alveoli where all that gas exchange is happening in the first place. But the bronchi are blocked off, then nothing can get to that alveoli in that lung. And now we have less space that we're able to breathe because it has to go to the alveoli in order to be able to get oxygen to be exchanged through the blood vessels because that's where all the major, major blood vessels are as well. All right, so we talked about physical exam, clinical signs, diagnostics. Now let's talk about our treatment options. Like I said, what are the first things? Getting them Torb on board can help a lot, help calm that cat down so we can get those x-rays. If we try to stress that cat out too much, that cat will use its shock organ, its lungs, and it will die. We have to be very cautious about that. And I do usually tell people when I'm going to get x-rays of them, I just say, look, you know, this is a really important thing for your cat. We have to do this really slowly. We have to do it on your cat's time. I can't rush it. Otherwise, we're going to push them into cardiac arrest. So we need to be slow. We need to be careful with them. It's going to take a while before we can get those x-rays so that they understand like why I did not have x-rays in five minutes because we really shouldn't get them in five minutes. It should be that we've calmed them down and then taken those x-rays. What treatment options do we have for kitties? When they come into the hospital and it is not for an emergency, let's say they've come into general practice and they're like, my cat has been coughing a lot. It's okay not to give Torb to those cats. You can just get x-rays if that's the case. Get the x-rays and if, let's say the doctor says, yep, it looks like it's asthma. Usually there's a couple of different treatments. You can start with a steroid. It's called a corticosteroid, but those are just steroids. In cats, it has to say prednisolone, L-O-N-E at the end, prednisolone, not prednisone. Cats have to have prednisolone. They cannot break down prednisone very well on their own. 
So we either give them an injection of prednisolone, so methylprednisolone. That's that two-week injection of steroids, so it lasts for two weeks. That way the owner doesn't have to worry about giving pills for for two weeks, because especially at our clinic, we don't have the, the liquid. Um, the liquid can be compounded. You can write a script for liquids, but in some places do have the liquid, but most of them, like I know a good majority of places, just have the pills. So we use prednisolone for our steroids. Now, just a couple notes about prednisolone and prednisone in general. It does cause them to drink more water. They do pee more. Um, they do eat more. And I always tell people that this is what's going to happen because they get really worried that their cat is like drinking a ton and peeing a ton or that they're stealing stuff off the counters. That's going to be from the steroids. The other thing that is very unique to cats in steroids is that they also become more vocal. They start meowing all the time. They're constantly meowing all over the house. I will say that it does tend to go away after about two weeks, but not always. I have one of my friends, her cat is on prednisolone and it's it still does it. And it's been on it for a year. So most of the time they do go away, but sometimes not. So sometimes we're giving a steroid of pred steroid injection for those cats that are in the hospital. But usually if it's like an outpatient thing, let's say they're just coming for general practice, we can give the injection or they can just give their prednisone, pred, sorry, prednisolone pills instead. They also might talk about doing an inhaler. So there's multiple types of inhalers. And really overall, our goal is to decrease inflammation and open up the airways, right? So one of the things that we might use is going to be an inhaler. If this is a cat that's coming in just for general practice, it's not in distress. Usually they'll get a prescription for two types of inhalers. One is going to be albuterol. Albuterol is a inhaler that just really opens up the airways. It is not a steroid. It's just a bronchodilator, meaning that we're opening up those bronchi so that, that way we can get more air into there. This is just a rescue inhaler. It's really just for times that the cat is breathing really hard and that's to help reduce the chances that they're going to end up needing to be in the hospital. The other one that we use very frequently is going to be Flovent or Fluticasone. That one is actually a steroid. That steroid is going to go into the lungs. It's going to open them up because it also has bronchodilator properties. It opens them up, but it also is going to decrease the inflammation. Albuterol is not going to do that, but fluticasone will. And the cool thing about fluticasone is that we're now using that steroid, all those really good properties of steroids, which are to decrease inflammation. That's the biggest thing, but mostly decrease inflammation. And we're going to use that without having all of those other negative effects of prednisolone or methylprednisolone. They're not going to drink more. They're not going to eat more. They're not going to be vocalizing. They're just going to breathe better. And that's because we're really focusing just on the lungs. We're not giving them a pill that they're going to be taking that goes systemically. It's not going to go through the whole rest of the body. It's only going to go to the lungs so that they can open up those lungs, which is awesome. We can use those without having all those bad things that are going to happen. So that's usually like for our general practice, that's like going to be the easy things that we're going to be able to do, send them home with and have them follow up later to help manage the symptoms of asthma. But let's say they come in on emergency and they're having an asthmatic attack. Remember, like I said, Torb is going to be your best friend for those because it'll help decrease the stress. 
They won't bite you in the middle of trying to take x-rays because they it might be the nicest cat in the world, but it cannot breathe, and now you're trying to pin it down. You're trying to hold that cat down to get an x-ray, and it it will do anything it can to try to breathe. It cannot breathe very well when it's on its back or when it's stressed, so giving them Torb first. The next things are going to be using bronchodilators, injectable ones. So we usually use terbutaline. Tributylene does the same thing. It acts on the receptors in the bronchi to be able to open them up so we can increase the amount of space that we're able to breathe. And then giving them the steroids. So I usually do a couple things. For me personally, other doctors might be different, but I usually use tributylene. I use a corticosteroid injection. So that's going to be the methylprednisolone. That's the injection that lasts for two weeks. I usually give them albuterol and flovent. All of those at the same time. So we need to decrease the inflammation and increase the amount of space that we're able to breathe. Sometimes when they're really bad, sometimes I'll even just give them a dose of dexamethasone SP, another steroid, but this is a very short-acting steroid. It only acts for about 12 to 24 hours. And again, the goal is to try to decrease inflammation. It just depends on how bad the cat is and if there's anything else that's going on. Is there a possible pneumonia that's in there? Is this that we have a collapsed lung lobe? There could be lots of different things. So we want to try to help them breathe as well as possible. And that if there is some sort of pneumonia aspect to it, then antibiotics as well. But that's not a very common thing. Most of the time it's after they've been using steroids because steroids do other bad things as well. So if they're on steroids for a long term, it can make their immune system lower, which causes them to get more infections. And it also can predispose them to diabetes. So they'll end up getting diabetes from having those steroids. So ideally, we don't want to do that. And I've only had a couple cats that came in all the time for methylprednisolone injections. And I warned them every time, like, your cat will likely get diabetes because we're doing this so often because they needed it for asthma. But this cat, literally, we couldn't touch it. Like, the guy couldn't touch it. He could barely get the cat into a carrier. The only time he could was when the cat was having an asthma attack. So we would just give it to him when that cat was, like, able to come in for those injections. <laughs> and even then, we'd have to put a towel over him, get gloves. So I totally understood when he was like, I can't do an inhaler. The other thing I want to talk about for inhalers is how do we give the inhaler, right? So it's not just like putting the inhaler in the cat's mouth. They're just not going to take it that way. One, because remember, they are obligate nasal breathers. So if I put it into their, their mouth, they're really not going to breathe in. And then also because if I attempted to put it into its mouth and do a little spray of the inhaler, the cat will freak out. It does not want that thing to be like that, that spray to go into their lungs. They don't want, they do not want to hear that sound. So we use something called an AeroCat, A-E-R-O-K-A-T. And the AeroCat is like this little like tube or a tunnel. I don't know about how best to describe that, but you put the little inhaler into it. You push the inhaler so that there's mist that goes into it, into that tunnel or that canister. And then there's a mask on the other side. So you put the mask on the cat and that way you can hold the mask on the cat and have them breathe in. Ideally, we want them to breathe in seven to ten times. Sometimes it's only going to be one or two times to begin with, and then eventually they'll work up to three to four times, four to five times, till they get to the seven to ten times of taking a breath, but they just got to get used to the fact that you're putting something over their face. Because remember, they're asthmatic, they're stressed out, and now you're trying to put something over their face, definitely becomes very stressful for them. So I want to try to do that instead. 
But Arrowcat, most people can find it on Amazon, Chewy. I found it at Petco before, but you can find them at a bunch of different places. They are in the hospital because they're having an asthmatic attack. Sometimes it'll only be a couple of hours before they are okay and they're able to um, be released from the hospital. But sometimes they end up having to stay for 24 to 48 hours, just depending on how bad they are. Now let's talk about the environment now. So environmental things to try to help with them is like reducing an exposure to dust, so cleaning as much as possible. Exposure to pollens, so decrease the amount of plants that are in the in the house and also keeping them indoors. And then other irritants that can that can cause asthma, so things like anything that has a really strong smell. Even cleaning products can have a really strong smell. So I usually tell people when they're cleaning, put the asthmatic cat into another area and then clean the floors or whatever it is that you need to do, and then take them back out after that. So that way they don't have an asthma attack. Keeping them indoors is going to be really helpful as well because these asthmatic cats have a lot of allergies to dust and pollens. And if they're outside, you can't help manage those things. Hopefully, if they're indoors, if they're using a litter box, using dust-free litter because all that dust kicks up after they go to the bathroom and they scratch it, and the dust kicks up, and then they're going to have an asthmatic attack from that. Trying to decrease those things. For maintenance stuff, as soon as the cat leaves the hospital, it's really important that they're going back for rechecks every six months or so, or even more if they're starting to find that their cat is breathing harder. So they can help make sure that they're on the right protocols for medications. Because maybe we need to change a medication or maybe we need to increase a medication. The fluticasone, you can increase the amount of fluticasone for each little puff. So sometimes we want to do those if they're having a problem before they get to the point of having an asthmatic attack. All right. Uh, Last thing I want to talk about too is that remember there is no cure for this. Just like with people, there is no cure. It is really putting a band-aid on it and just trying to help manage them the best that we can with the medications that we have. When people are like, do I just do this for a month and when the inhaler runs out, we're done? That's not the case. This is a lifelong thing that the cat is going to go through. Especially when we diagnose a lot of these guys at two to four years old, that means another possibly 18 years of this cat being asthmatic. And so we want to try to help decrease the inflammation as much as possible so that we don't get to that point that they start having asthmatic attacks, at least hopefully not to later in life. The more inflammation that occurs, the more scarring and stuff that occurs in their lungs as well. And they will get to a point where they cannot breathe. And so we want to try to make sure that that point that they cannot breathe is closer to 18 years old, not closer to two years old. All right. Now let's talk about some of the questions that I usually get. People will ask, is this the same thing as human asthma? So they do share a lot of the same properties. Um, they have a lot of the same clinical signs. They have a lot of the same things we're looking for on x-rays. We treat them with a lot of the same things. We know that they both have inflammation. The one thing that we're not 100% sure on is with humans, we know that inflammation is always there. It is constantly there. And then when they have a flare-up, that's when that inflammation gets worse. But with cats, all we know is that they have these asthmatic attacks. We're not 100% sure if the inflammation is always there. We just have to extrapolate that from human medicine to determine if we just assume that it is always there and that we just have these asthmatic attacks. But everything else is pretty much the same. 
Another question I get is, is there any way that there could be a different medication that can be given besides steroids? Some people don't like the fact that it could give them diabetes. Some people don't like using the inhaler. Or we have cats who have certain health problems that they cannot use steroids. So things like heart problems or certain cats that make certain types of stones, the calcium oxalate, if I remember correctly, they cannot have prednisolone. We have to give them different types of medications. The most common one that we're going to use is usually going to be cyclosporine. Cyclosporine is also an immunosuppressant, meaning we're decreasing the immune system. If we stop the immune system, it stops the inflammation. Like I said, it's not going to go away. It's just going to decrease it. So people will like to use that as well. The kind of the downfalls to it are it can be really costly. Luckily for cats, it's so small, like it's not a huge deal, but it does require like regular blood testing. So every six months, if I remember correctly, that they're doing blood testing. Sometimes it's a little more cost prohibitive, but if it's a cat that cannot have steroids, then that's our next best option. The other thing that we've also extrapolated this from human medicine has been allergy testing, testing them for allergies to figure out what they're allergic to, and then giving them those shots back of the allergen that they're allergic to. If they're allergic to grass pollen, we're giving them teeny tiny amounts of grass pollen back every, I think it's twice a week for a while, and then it's once a week, and then it's once a month. But we're giving those back to them to try to help their body decrease the inflammation. The thinking is if you give back small particles constantly, the body doesn't see it as a grass on or a grass particle or grass pollen. And then eventually you get bigger and bigger particles. And then the body is, okay, those other ones didn't really cause a problem. They didn't wreak havoc. So I'm not going to mount this huge immune response. There are, even with people, you can still have allergic reactions to that grass pollen and make it really worse. But in most circumstances, like we're trying to give just small pieces back so that hopefully we don't have this like over response of the immune system and create more inflammation. So those are the two big things we can do that to try to help make sure they don't have another big asthma attack. And then also decreasing the inflammation from cyclosporine. You can use things like tributylene, which like I said, is a bronchodilator. So it opens up the airways. It's usually an injection that we give in the hospital. It used to be really easy to get them as a pill, but it's really hard to find right now. And it's been like that for a while. So it's usually not something that we're giving out. All right. I think that's it for my asthmatic cats and my story real quick. My daughter, who's going to be seven tomorrow, she has had this tooth, and I think I mentioned this before, that it was like sideways, it looked terrible, it was like going across her other front tooth, she had her adult tooth coming in, she would not pull this thing, she wouldn't let us pull it, she wouldn't let the dentist pull it, nobody could pull this thing. So after forever, finally, like her tooth just had fallen out and it took so long for that to happen, like almost a month, I think. And the entire time she was just so scared, did not want the tooth to come out. This is her second tooth to come out. Her first one came out because she like slammed her face on the ground. And I was like, of course that one hurt because the, now it's traumatic. But so she had one loose front top tooth that just came out the other day, like three, four days ago. And then now she has her other tooth, the other front tooth that was really wiggly as well. And I was like, great, now this thing isn't going to come out for another freaking month. Like, what are we going to do at this point? And so it had been loose for just like a couple of days. And she, I came upstairs the other day and she like, she was like, look, I can twist my tooth. She twists it and it pops right out. 
she wasn't even scared or anything. She was like, Dad, I pulled my tooth. And I was like, thank goodness this is going to be another month of having this loose tooth. Like, even her teachers were like, please pull this tooth. My other funny story, real quick, is we took her to cheerleading because we thought maybe she would like that because she, like, likes to run and jump and yell and clap and stomp her feet. So we're like, that sounds a lot like cheerleading. Let's see if you like cheerleading. So she goes to cheerleading and literally, you definitely know that she's my daughter in the sense that she's just says, oh, I know about this, and let me tell you about this. <laughs> so, oh, come on, kid. Cheerleading, you're supposed to act like a team and, like, not not mess around. You're supposed to listen to the coach. But literally every single time she, the, the coach would try to say something, she'd be like, oh, I know how to do that, and she would just go and run and do a jump or whatever it was. Definitely the other parents were getting very annoyed. They were like, why is this child just stopping the whole cheerleading class? Nobody could learn anything because she just kept talking. <laughs> so I had to tell her for today, hopefully this goes well, because she's going to go back today, that she like can't talk. She has to actually listen to the to the coach. It was, it was rough. It was a rough day for sure. All right, guys. If you have any questions, like I said, always feel free to email me, text me, grab me in the hallway if you have anything you want me to do, any particular topics, I'm always happy to do those as well. So again, if you have any questions, reach out to me. Topics, reach out to me. Otherwise, let me know if you guys liked having it on YouTube, if you liked watching it, if that's easier for you to understand, then I will do more of them like this. Maybe not all of them, but more of them. Because if you do like it, then I think that this is a great way to get this information out to you. All right, thanks guys. Have a good week.